Greetings. This is Bashiri, and I'd like to welcome you to the 26th episode of the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. Of course, I greet you in love, peace, and confrontation. Black man, I love you. Black woman, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What will we tell our sons? Let's get out here and be the light. Let's understand that we are the solution, uh, that we house uh, the capacity and the wherewithal to resolve and to mitigate many of the issues that are pervasive in our communities. Uh, let's also take notice of the fact or ownership uh, that uh, we are the answers to every prayer that we've ever prayed and are articulated and that ultimately uh, we are the gods that we seek. All religions be damned. If it does not serve you, you should not serve it. Uh, Black man, what up? Black woman, what up? Black babies, what's good? And so here we are in our 26th episode of the Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast. And I think, I think we're going to take a reprieve from um, our uh, investigatory analysis of the politics of religion and, and, and pivot a little bit um, thematically. And in this episode, I kind of want to focus on um, our thinking and how we approach um, how we approach evidence how we approach knowledge how do we orient ourselves in terms of um, epistemological preoccupation as it were uh, in other words what are the limits of what we can know, right? And how do we orient ourselves emotionally in terms of what we do know now? Um, and the reason I kind of want to, I kind of want to speak to that is um, I've noticed that in many of the conversations that I have with um, the people in my community, that there's always an emotional component or attachment to ideas or ways of thinking that we've become acclimated with, that we've become socialized to um, regard as ultimately true, as fully exhaustive of reality. Um, uh, what we uh, have come to um, understand as trustworthy. And I think it's important for us to kind of take um, a courageous approach to the pursuit of truth and to the pursuit of knowledge. Uh, one would that would have us not um, predilected towards this kind of sacred fear <laughs> towards uh, uh, these ideas that we've inherited. Right. Uh, often what happens is whatever uh, frame of reference or whatever um, cadre of ideas that we become introduced to initially, you know, uh, in terms of uh, our formative years, right? So these are things that have been introduced to us, or ideas and ideologies that have been passed down and we've inherited from childhood. And those things kind of uh, set the stage of our framing and how we are... Um, uh, really uh, positioned, right, to perceive the world around us 
and to perceive ourselves with respect to our place within that world. And often those early conceptions of our immediate environment um, become cemented logically. And then they become reinforced and fortified, right, um, by, you know, the, the people who are in our environment. Okay, so, um, you know, often uh, throughout the, the podcast, I talk about environmental circumstances. I speak about, um, you know, um, uh, the context uh, of, of the economic and the political and uh, the cultural and, and, and uh, social dynamic. And in some cases, uh, socio-biogenetic dynamics that inform um, our personages respectively and, uh, and how that um, serves as a means by which we try to navigate all of these different spaces as we engage and interact with um, various personalities within our immediate sphere of influence and often uh, how even those interactions, um, they converge in a creative fashion uh, to, to forge, you know, our personalities and our, um, our selves, really, right? And so I think it is very important along that continuum that um, we uh, facilitate the capacity to think about what we're thinking, right? And, and as we're doing so, we can begin to judge, right? And we can begin to discern what's beneficial, what's detrimental, what's useful, what can be discarded. But we can't do that if we regard or we revere uh, information because it was introduced to us first. There are some ideas that were introduced to us first that should no longer enjoy uh, the place of primacy or or, uh, relevance that we give it. Because some ideas are limited in their scope and in their frame. Now, that is not to say that human beings um, aren't limited and don't have uh, epistemological boundaries. Because we do, right? Of course, there, there's going to be limits to what the human mind um, can deconstruct. Right. And apprehend and understand. I'm not saying that we're going to somehow all become um, uh, super minds or or develop these super brains that, you know, that can crack all the mysteries of the universe. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is um, that knowledge is provisional. Right. Meaning that as we continue to hopefully evolve for the better along the continuum of human maturation to become better human beings, right? Uh, More civilized human beings, right? Um, Human beings who 
uh, will use knowledge uh, constructively, right? Um, that there are some ideas that that will become um, outmoded, okay? There are some ideas that will be laid to rest <laughs> because they're no longer um, useful, right? Okay, now what am I talking about? Because I don't want to just to be out here um, as if I'm speaking about uh, knowledge without it being grounded, again, contextually, right? And so what is the context that I'm speaking to in terms of how we utilize what we know, what we can know, you know? Um, I'm always speaking within the context of a, a, a socioeconomic uh, realities and inequities and political circumstances that exist within the overall framework and context of white supremacy, right? We're talking about um, these power differentials, right? That create lopsided circumstances for those who have been given the assignation of politically white and politically black, respectively. And what that means in terms of how we um, engage socially um, along that um, along that continuum and within that matrix of um, interrelationship, right? So we're, we're talking about racism. I got to go back to it and define it even for the benefit of my own uh, uh, knowledge, right? So uh, when we're talking about racism, of course, we're talking about the procurement of vital life resources over and against uh, the capacity of a targeted population um, to um, develop uh, the same facility uh, to survive in a competitive uh, framework. Okay, so we, we're talking about uh, the the uh, the galvanization of uh, our inner uh, potentialities or innate potentials, uh, so that they become focused um, by way of um, a sharp attention and awareness to the reality, the competitive reality that we find all of human beings coexisting uh, within, right? So simply to say that there are, uh, there is this um, mechanism of internal competitive um, energy that uh, must be employed if we endeavor to survive, right? Or if we endeavor um, to re reach a certain uh, equilibrium within our uh, social circles, respectively. And it's important that we understand as politically black people that we have not uh, been, um, we have not been a part of the best social circumstances to develop our fullest potentialities because we find that we have been a marginalized, a beleaguered, 
a victimized and attacked group uh, within the um, the context of again of white supremacy, hegemony, um, and racism, right? And so that's kind of a, a academic appreciation uh, for what racism is functionally, right? That it serves the interests, the power interests of a group that would like to maintain the status quo of uh, the uh, inequitous power differentials that exist between politically white and politically black people. Okay, so for my own benefit, of course, just framing um, the context, the socio-political, economic, and uh, historical context of our treatment of knowledge. So I've said in, in past podcasts that Information is a vital life resource, right? And so if we, if we become too emotionally involved with dead ideas or uh, we become afraid to investigate the sacred cows in the community, right? And if we, if we refuse to disarm ourselves with this dumb respect <laughs> that and that's what i see it's it's a stupidity it's a it's a a a a mental laming of sorts that becomes self-imposed because we've developed this um reverence this reverence for certain ways of thinking certain traditions um, that become taboo to question. You know what I mean? It's like you you commit a, a mortal sin if you doubt what you've always believed. And then uh, it's ratcheted up in terms of its punitive consequences because the members of your your group your immediate sphere of influence then double down in terms of how they behave towards you with respect to um, what they discern, right? Per your behavior or per your articulation um, about what you believe about these ideas that are supposed to be beyond question. It's dangerous and it's deadly to to orient yourself in terms of knowledge in that regard. Because then you cut yourself off from growth. You cut yourself off from um, developing new vistas, developing new perspectives developing new ways of conceiving, right? And conceptualizing yourself and the environment around you and how you could pivot, right? In your perceptions so that it would be more beneficial for you to operate from new paradigms and new frames of references um, with respect to the overarching goals Right. The, um, the 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 kind of goals that are going to move you forward beyond 
um, circumstances that um, prior to might have kept you at a certain station of outcomes and consequences. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about knowledge. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about information as a vital life resource. Like if I can't use what I know to help me to go beyond where I am, well then it's useless. This is a dumb knowledge, you know? This this is a knowledge that doesn't benefit me. But perhaps it's a knowledge and knowledge, you know, I use air quotes because I really think it's a stupidity. Uh, perhaps this is a knowledge that benefits those who would like to maintain, again, the inequitous dynamics that persist between politically white and politically black people. You know, now I I. You know, I, I read a lot, you know, I, I, I read a lot of, of, of psychology and I read a lot of sociology and I'm into the dynamics of human behavior and all of the happenings that have to do um, with that area of study. And, and you know, I'm always uh, analyzing myself and then, you know, I engage, you know, with other uh, humans, right, within my community and immediate sphere of influence. And I've always noticed, even from young, that uh, when you touch a nerve in people that you engage with, particularly as it pertains to these truths that are supposed to be unmolested by investigation, right? (laughs) Or deconstruction or inquiry, people immediately become defensive, they become uncomfortable, they become or exhibit hostility, um, uh, they become belligerent, right? And at, it is at that moment they will try to um, eviscerate, you know what I'm saying, your confidence, right? Or even get at your character and they make it a moral uh, blight, right? That you have to bear for even questioning uh, whatever the idea uh, in question at the moment may be. And I guess I want to encourage those of you who listen not to be swayed by those um, responses or reactions. Because what I find is that once you move beyond your emotions, uh, you control those things, not to say that we become like removed and detached and, you know, um, divorced from our capacity to empathize or to feel, you know, for other people. But Rather that we temper our emotions and we control it so that we can see more clearly what is going to be the utility 
of a particular way of thinking and methodology employed, like so that we can be discerning, so that we can be discriminatory, so that we can say, well, I understand uh, by way of tradition, this idea, whatever it may be. It's comforting because you are familiar with it and it's what you've always been um, associated with. And while I appreciate all of the the warm and fuzzies that you get from having um, everything in your world, at least in your mind, figured out and everything has a place, there comes a time where we have to be disruptive with respect to these sacred ideas. There comes a time where we have to be disrespectful to those ideas, not to one another, but to the ideas, okay? I'm hoping that we can all develop the maturity um, not to to become... um, identified or conflated with ideas that ought to be investigated, deconstructed, evaluated, right? So that we can determine on uh, the basis of analytics what would be the best way forward, right? Because thoughts are important. Thinking is vital, right? These thoughts that we devote our uh, energy to and our focus upon begin to shape us. It begins to shape how we view the world, how we view ourselves, right? And it's from those internal um, mechanistic happenings, right? That that give way to behaviors, right? And certain ways and modes of being, right? That are going to have what? Political, economic, social consequences, right? And so we have to be able to, we have to be able to honestly judge we got to be judgmental. Yes, we do. Everybody wants to be polite. I don't want to be polite with an idea. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That doesn't work. I like to destroy an idea. I like to dismantle it. I like to uh, lay it bare for what it is. Right? If it doesn't work, let's get rid of it. Right? And I'm just speaking, you know, I'm just speaking right now to no particular idea, but just to ideas in general that don't work for our community. You know what I mean? I mean, there are a plethora of ideas that I think um, many in our community are married to that don't serve us. But I'm just speaking in general terms to um, the theme of those cadre or caliber of ideas, right? Or ways of understanding um, 
that have been a disservice and an impediment because we have deemed those ideas beyond investigatory analysis or inquiry and we are the worst as a result for it. We're worse off. We, we reach an impasse, right? Because then we become loyal to a method to the, to, to the degree or to the point that now we're disloyal to the group or to our people. You know what I'm saying? And we become, you know, we pledge all kinds of allegiance to, right? An idea or an outmoded, archaic methodology that is no longer beneficial. Maybe it was never beneficial, right? Or perhaps only beneficial to the extent that it served to help us understand what doesn't work. So I think even with that, you know, um, you, you learn from your mistakes. Mistakes are incredibly beneficial. You know what I'm saying? Because at least they give us an awareness and appreciation and understanding for what doesn't work. Okay, cool. Knowledge game. Made that mistake. Great. Great. But I think, man, um, I think sometimes we create monuments to these mistakes, and then we get stuck idolizing these monuments, <laughs> you know, idolizing these mistakes. And then, you know, we create um, holidays around mistakes, you know, and, 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 and we create all of these um, kind of uh, ways to revere our mistakes you know, with the purpose to perpetuate the facilitation of ongoing missteps and mistakes. That in the context of racism, white supremacy, domination, um, is deadly. It's deadly because all it will do is aid and abet and perpetuate these uh, inequitous circumstances that work for another agency, an outside and externalized agency or locus of control and group who would like to maintain, again, the status quo of their dominance and our subjugation, right? And the greatest way to subjugate a people is through their mentality, through their thinking, so that they've internalized your insults, they've internalized your definitions, they've internalized your uh, your estimation of their value. And now you don't have to exercise or uh, or see to the energetic investment of power via coercion or outright violence. And in that way, the maintenance of your dominance becomes cost effective because you have now, you know, uh, brought on board 
the oppressed to become self-oppressing through the facility of their own uh, perceived volitional capacities that have been compromised through the institutions that continue to perpetuate um, propagandistic indoctrination that only serves to maintain um, your power interest and that undermine their power interest. That's all we're talking about. You know what I'm saying? All we're talking about is a particular kind of relationship, right? To where you want this group, this pathologized group, right? To become compatible with the prerogatives of your power interest, right? And you do that through uh, through miseducation, through misinformation, through the atrophy uh, of their capacity to develop their cognition. <laughs> so it, it, it serves them for us to become emotional and afraid to challenge ideas. And we're just talking about ideas. We're not talking about uh, behaviors. We're not talking about making moves. Just in the realm of ideas, you know. I've been I've been in spaces where people are clutching their pearls and ready to cry, and you know, um, feeling so offended. Just in the realm of ideas, because because a sacred cow has been tipped, right? Well, I'm out here trying to make roast beef or, or hamburger meat. Out of these sacred cows, let's let's eat this. Let's let's you know let's be done. You know what I mean? Um, not even eat it. I don't want to eat it. I take that back. Don't want to ingest it. Don't want these ideas to become a part of me. Just want to discard it. Why are there? Why are are there these ideas that cannot? That just cannot be um, investigated. In our community, I talked about one for a long. I mean, I said I was going to discard or take a reprieve from the series, but you know, religion was one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in our community, oh, we just can't get into because where? How would we have morality? And it doesn't dawn on us that we can think outside of the frames, right, of the current uh, moral suasion or whatever, what have you, or system. That has been given to us. Yeah, we can think beyond it. We can think beyond a Bible. You know what I'm saying? We can think beyond a Quran. We can think uh, beyond the Talmud or whatever suasion or the, the King James version of the Bible. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? We can think beyond it. You know, I was telling one person that when you think logically about human development, especially in terms of um, our traditions, our mores, um, our, our culture, um, you know, in that regard, it's, it's funny because this person was trying to say that, oh no, without a code, you know, people would, 
be lawless and etc. And it's important that we have special revelation. I said I would leave religion alone, but I'm just going to talk on this real quick, just in terms of ideas. We got special revelation, and without this book that was inspired, it's like, hey, yo, bro, do you understand that in terms of uh, uh, as the uh, um, continuum of human development is concerned, um, you you do know that that practices precede the codification of right those practices in other words it it is the prerogative of human development to develop moral um appropriateness with respect to again their environment and who they're relating to within that environment it, it isn't a book that comes first it's it's the practice and the people right before it becomes codified and written down and, bef- and before we even begin to engage in mythology, you know what I'm saying? That solidifies the moral framing that that's um, indicative of a practice that preceded it. You understand what I mean? Like, that's what we're to- that's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. And like, I don't have any problem with myth- mythology like human beings use myth. That's what we do. We use myth at- as a vehicle to substantiate our experiences or our interaction with the world around us. You know, we tell stories. We're, we are a story, um, um, a, a story, we, we have this kind of, uh, I don't know, this, this this narrative predilection. Like we just, we're interested in stories for whatever reason. And maybe that's something I need to read up on and come back and we can converse about me. I'll bring somebody on and we can converse about this quality that we have as human beings, that we're interested in stories. We're interested in, in making meaningful associations. And maybe it has something to do with the evolutionary biological uh, prerogatives um, that have helped us, you know, uh, to survive this long. You know, like, like making associations and making meaningful associations because uh, that has helped us to maintain our lives and our existence by being able to connect the dots. So there's a pro. But the con could be that we create these stories, right, um, that are illogical and we're connecting dots and creating pictures that don't really manifest reality around us. I'm thinking now of A Beautiful Mind. I don't know those of you who listening who have ever seen A Beautiful Mind. Russell Crowe, and uh, he has this this genius genius rather excuse me mental facility and or capacity. And uh, what happens is um, he starts to um, become delusional, you know, and he starts to see patterns uh, that weren't really rooted in reality. He's thinking he's 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 breaking codes and he's making these associations and he's having these hallucinations. And they're very vivid, right, in terms of his experience. And his mind is very powerful, so he becomes powerfully pathological. You know what I'm saying? And it's not till I, you know, as the movie progresses that he begins to realize that, dang, these codes that I think I'm breaking and these messages that I think I'm decoding, they're not even real. These associations that that occur uh, 
relatively easily in my mind, they're divorced from reality. You know, and that's that's what I think happens in our community, you know, just as, you know, as an allegory um, that that not not so much as that. Yeah. Yeah. But just so that we could see as an example what may be going on within our ranks in that we become uh, creatively pathological. You know, our minds begin to create these fantastic associations, all right, that we think are persuasive, right? But they're not rooted in reality, okay? And, and, and they cost us. Well, number one, they cost us time. They cost us time. Time that would have otherwise been invested in developing and in building something that would be fruitful uh, and being productive, right? We now spend building and embellishing upon a narrative and a story that is nothing more than a useless fantasy. We can't use it. It keeps us preoccupied. It keeps us distracted. Okay? And we have these beautiful mind moments uh, in the realm of politics, we have this be- these beautiful mind moments in the realm of economics. We have these beautiful mind uh, moments in the realm of religion. Uh, and, you know, we have these beautiful mind moments where, you know, people that we perceive to be thought leaders. They're not seeing the whole picture. You know, they're not seeing the whole scope. And, and, and the lion's share of the time was blocking their ability to see the entire scope or to step back and appreciate that they're too close to a scenario is their own ego. Right. Okay. Is their own arrogance. Right. Is their own having been convinced and deceived themselves. Right. And deluded, self-deluded in most cases. Right. That inhibits them from seeing how their own imp- their they become their own impediment to progress right and then they create these enclaves of impediments to progress as they um now b- become um proselytizing agents and disciple people into their own era and a lot of times they're prolific and a lot of times they're articulate and a lot of times they have uh, these gifts of persuasion. I mean, very charismatic individuals. Can't take that from them. Very talented individuals, you know, very capable personalities, but mistaken in a lot of the cases um, because, you know, they become this kind of egocentric and they don't even they don't even look at it that way. You know what I'm saying? They don't they think they're being humble and they think they're being honest with the facts. You know what I mean? But here's the thing about uh arrogance and um and uh, uh the relationship between arrogance and false humility. I guess if I wanted to draw that dichotomy, you know what I mean? Or uh low self-esteem, 
along that continuum as well, is that it's all preoccupied with the self. Whether you're on the continuum where you're you're arrogant and and and, and you're bellicose and, and and you just have this bravado, right? Or whether you're on the other side of the continuum where you you just you engage in, in, in self-deprecation. It all has to do with an unhealthy preoccupation of self is what I'm saying. And a lot of times these people who become air quotes leaders, um, they're trying to compensate for something that's lacking. There's a deficit. There's, there's, they're out of touch with themselves. There's something in them that have been left unresolved. And so to, fu- to, to fill the vacuum in self, um, they need this role or, or they need to be viewed or situated as a person who's a go-to person or who is the guru in whatever space of uh, knowledge, right? Right. Or, 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 or they have this um, epistemological adept, you know what I'm saying? Uh, adeptness or aptitude. You feel what I'm saying? And, um, when somebody like me <laughs> comes along and pokes from a standpoint of honest inquiry at ideas, oh, well, then it's like it's a personal attack. But I'm not attacking the people in my community. I love the people in my community, right? I just don't house the same reverence for. I guess, ignorance, right? That some people house. I don't, I mean, I think it would benefit us to honor each other, not ideas. Ideas are tools, you know what I'm saying? And um, for certain jobs, certain tools work. For other jobs, certain tools do not. You know what I mean? If you want to use that analogy. You know what I'm saying? Um, and when we're speaking about trying to maintain a clear head and heart with respect to the work that needs to be done in the community of those people who identify as politically black, we cannot be loyal to anything but the progress, the mutual progress of ourselves and those who are in our immediate sphere of influence. It it, it can't be an idea that we're more loyal to. You feel what I mean? Like, it just, because all that's going to do is create division. And we're going to set up these lines of demarcation and we're going to become um, all the more fragmented and, you know, and manageable by way of being fragmented and at odds ideologically with one another. Um, because we don't know how to disagree without becoming mortal enemies, it seems, and without diminishing one another. And maybe we need to do that. Maybe that's something that needs to be facilitated. Maybe that's an idea that needs to be 
harped upon. That although we may not agree at every point on everything, that doesn't mean that we have to. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have to destroy one another. Because I've seen that happen too, where people get into bashing because you don't see something from their perspective. They get into character assassination because, well, you can't be a moral person if you don't believe fill in the blank. You know what I mean? We got to get beyond that. That's a very immature way of engagement. And it's going to keep us stuck, ultimately. It's going to keep us in places that we we can agree we don't want to be. And so right now I'm just speaking to really the psychology of a methodology of pedagogy and uh, epistemological treatment of uh, the limits and the scope of what we can do with information. What can we do with what we know? What can we know? You know And again, it, it goes right back to having a robust knowledge of self, of capability, right? Of potential. And that's different from um, the syllabus, <laughs> the social syllabus that we're born into, where we got to learn all of the terms that are commensurate with these alien values. I was speaking to my, my, a few of my friends the other day. It was just like, that's why stillness and... Um, going within is so important, you know, meditation is important, you know, because they, they are messages that are inside of us that are speaking all the time. Okay. Now I'm, I'm, I'm getting spiritual, you know what I'm saying? And, and all spirituality is, is recognizing the connections. That's all it is. Everything is, is connected and, and, and interwoven. We, 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 we are part and parcel of an interwoven tapestry of being, right? And it's like, if we could just dial down a little bit some of the noise of alien values, you know, and I'm saying alien with respect to um, our station as having been uh, um, donned with the assignation of politically black, right? You know, divorced from uh, our roots, you know what I'm saying? We're divorced from that. And we got to take on these Eurocentric values and we got to take on these Eurocentric cultural mores and traditions and et cetera. Um, one author said that we're basically um, Europeanized blacks. That's how he phrased it, I think. The author, um, whose, of course, name escapes me at the moment. But that's the concept. That's the idea. But to, to, to say that there's something that is more primal, right, and appropriate that we can get back to, you know, and that we don't have to reinvent the wheel, the wheels inside us, you know what I mean? And it's, if we can get there and be still with ourselves for a moment or two and just dial back and dial down a lot of the distraction around us, you know, that keeps us anxious, that keeps us making um, erratic moves, that keeps us uh, in a state of instability, okay? That keeps us reactive from um, a stress-induced, fear-based kind of orientation that is 
maladaptive, unproductive, destructive, right? Takes away. But if we could find a way to still be still, then maybe we could be proactive about what needs to be or how the challenges in our communities can be resolved. That's all. That's all. I'm, t- I'm, I'm speaking to um, uh, an inward orientation. Okay. Now, there are others in our communities who get right down to the practicality of it. And they have that facility to do it. You know? Um, and we need them. Right? And we also need this. <laughs> we gotta have... We gotta have the 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 kind of internal orientation, right, and development that comes from a balanced place, right, an empowered position. Okay, not panicked, not afraid, not wondering is this the right thing. Will people be offended? I'll answer your question. Yes, people will be offended and you got to be okay with it. Okay, that's what I'm talking to. I'm talking to that. Okay, I'm talking to your mind. Okay, that's what I'm talking to. Psyche, suke, soul, soul talk. That's what I'm speaking to. You know what I mean? Even before we get to the practical, you know, spiritual got to be on point. Right? And not in the religious dogmatic sense. I'm just talking about being okay with you. Whatever that is, for better or worse. You know, um, having this balance, having uh, this acceptance of where we've been, how we've been. You know what I mean? And from there... um, from there, orchestrating dynamic and powerful changes. From there, not not even being combative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. There's elements of, of competition, of course. We speak to that all the time. You know what I mean? And and even if you do have to be combative, I would phrase that it's not from a place of frustration. Really, it's peace. It's 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 acceptance with understanding. What the task at hand requires. That's it. You know. Unequivocally. Okay. This is what it's going to take. You know what I mean. This is who I have to become. And and just becoming settled in those realities. Right. But that doesn't happen. If we're constantly distracted. And mired in. Who's right. Who's I'm right. You're wrong. Right. Or. Not even being able to deal with right and wrong. Okay? It's two sides to that coin. Um, you know, there's the fixation of having to always be right. You know what I mean? And then there's the other side to it of, oh, I can never be wrong. You know what I mean? Like, no, this, this isn't up for debate. This isn't up for discussion. Everything's up for debate and discussion. Sure it is. If we're talking, if we're talking about what we're needing to do to survive, hmm, 
with respect to information and knowledge and how we're going to apply uh, the, the aforesaid information and our knowledge, you know, is it going to be effective? You know, is it going to be useful? We got to have those conversations in whatever space and be comfortable about it, okay? You know, no more sacred cows. These sacred cows that have yielded nothing but sour milk, not with it. They don't benefit us. Not with it. We should discard it. I got to come before a landing, but I think you understand what I mean. Um, just, just to offer a uh, summative commentary, all I'm saying is this, that there are limits to what we can know. Yes, it's true. Um, but that doesn't mean that because there are limits uh, to what we can know, that we have to be limited in how we orient ourselves with what we do know. So if what we do know is problematic, then we need to discard it. We need not to revere it. We need not to have uh, uh, any kind of uh, uh, respect for it. We should respect each other, but having this respect where we can't um, negotiate uh, the utility of certain ideas and methodologies is going to, in the long run, uh, be self-sabotaging because we become more loyal to these broken ideas rather than uh, loyal to one another. Um, it's not just about parsing out the problem. It's always about shining the light of members in your community who are doing incredible work here locally in Hampton Roads. Hampton Roads is regional black chamber of commerce, black brand, black brand dot biz. If you are industrious, endeavor to be industrious, entrepreneurial, endeavor to be entrepreneurial. You need to link yourself with the network and a nexus of like-minded, powerful individuals who have both your, your good, both in head and in heart. Black brand, blackbrand.biz, 150-year economic plan in the making exclusively for uh, politically black people. And that's it um, for Love, Peace, and Confrontation podcast, episode 26. Black men, I love you. Black women, I love you. Black babies, I love you. What? What we tell our sons, let's get out here to be and be the light. Understand that we are the solution, that we are the answer to every prayer that we ever prayed in or articulated, that we are the gods that we seek. If it doesn't serve you, you should not serve it. All religions be damned. I'm signing off in love, peace and confrontation. Let's do something that's going to make the future proud. Let's not be fraudulent. Head on a swivel, black people. And until next time, I love you. Please. Be safe, love, peace, confrontation. Take care.